Thank you so much for joining us for this message. Whether you're watching for the first time or you're simply catching up on a message that you missed, we're so glad that you are connecting to God's Word today. Our hope is that as you listen to the message, you'll experience a real encounter with God. Please consider giving financially to support God's work through our ministry. You will find several options to do that by clicking on the word Give in the menu on our website at kentwoodcommunitychurch.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, it's time for the Word of God. Are y'all ready to eat? All right, let's eat. If you will, turn in your uh, Bible or turn in your device if you have it uh, to Esther chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 6 and read through 16, and I see you're already standing. We here at KCC, in reverence to the Word of God, do stand while we read the Word. And I'm joined here uh, at the podium with, by my daughter, uh, Lindley, who is going to help us with reading the Scriptures. I'll start with verse 6. You'll read the next verse, and Lindley will lead you in that, uh, even for those of you who are online. All right, let's start. Verse 6. So, Hathach went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasures to destroy the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given at Shushan, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her, and that he might command her to go into the king and make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. Verse 9. So Hathach returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and gave him a command for Mordecai. Verse 11. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king has not been called. He has but one law, put all to death except the one to whom the king holds out of the gold scepter, that he may live, yet in himself have I not called to go into the king's thirty days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words, verse 13. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Verse 15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maid and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your word is true and eternal, that it lasts even longer than we do. We thank you, God, that you have a word for us today, and we open our hearts and our ears and our minds and our spirits and our lives to receive what you have for us today. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And if you agree with me, would you say amen? Amen. You can take your seat. Thank you very much. Um, Lindley, you take that with you. Can, can we just show a little appreciation for my 12-year-old daughter? 
She is going to Never the Same Camp as well with the rest of uh, the students from Student Ministries, and um, she's going to be just fine. I know that she's going to have a fantastic time. She's not going to think two thoughts about me or her dad. So I ask that you pray for my husband and I that we survive the week of Lindley being gone. Um, all right. Well, we're continuing in this series that we have been in called Same God Faith Walking, and we have uh, seen the demonstration of faith in a number of lives from biblical characters, from uh, Noah to Abraham, and now today we're going to talk about Esther. And I was so excited when I got this assignment to preach on Esther. Esther is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Uh, and for those, if you don't know, I'm Debbie Turner Bell, the leadership and discipleship pastor here at KCC, and um, we are uh, we miss our lead pastor Mick Veach, but he's on the other side of the state at uh, Mosaic Midtown preaching, and we just pray for him and for his safe return. But when he assigned this particular topic to me, I got really excited. Uh, many of you know I have a background in pageants. Uh, if you can't tell, it, you know, it shows up in how I dress. You know, who else wears a t-shirt with some pearls? And I, and I cut a little string, you know, because I couldn't just preach in a plain t-shirt. I had to zhuzh it up a little bit. Uh, and I feel certain that Esther probably was the same way. She was a queen. Uh, I love Esther because she's the world's first beauty queen. And as we begin to um, march through the story of Esther, you'll understand why I say that. She was chosen as one of the virgins in the land to come to the king's palace. They spent a year of beauty preparations, six months to make them uh, feel soft and feel good, and then six months to make them smell good, and then they went before the king, and then a queen was chosen. So whenever there's preparation for being pretty and then somebody comes out with a crown, that's a beauty pageant. That's a beauty pageant. So I, lo I love ex Esther. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Let me give you a little bit of history. I'm going to walk you. This is a great story. And if you've never read the full book of Esther, I invite you to do it. There's only 10 chapters. You can do it in one sitting. There's a lot of nuances and twists and turns. And our time does not allow us today to go through all those twists and turns. But I want to walk you through some of it so you get an idea of what I believe the word of the Lord is for us today. First of all, we don't know for sure who wrote the book of Esther. Some historians, theologians believe that it was Mordecai, but there is no concrete evidence, particularly within the book of Esther, who wrote it. This was written at a time after the Babylonian captivity of the Jews. Many of the Jews had returned to their homeland, but some had stayed in Persia, and that's where the action takes place in the book of Esther in Persia. And during that time, there was a king uh, who was a, a, a secular king. He was not a, a, a man who was a follower of God. His king Ahasuerus, or depending on your translation, it might say Xerxes in your Bible. And so what happened here in the book of Esther, it opens up with the king having a six-month party. Can you imagine that? Now, I love to enter entertain. Uh, but I can't imagine keeping a party going for six months. If I ever invite you over to my house, I'm glad to see you come. And after we have eaten and had fun and played games and laughed, I'm glad to see you go. 
Uh, but this king kept the party going for six months, and he was so full of himself, he was uh, bragging about all of his kingdom and all of his possessions, and he came to a point in the party where he had showed them the gold that he had and the silver that he had and all these precious things, and he decided he wanted to show off his queen too. Well, the scripture tells us that his queen Vashti was also having a festival, and so he sent for the queen to come before all these drunken uh, kings and governors and important people from around uh, the region to be displayed as one of his things of beauty. And for whatever reason, the Bible does not tell us, she refuses to come. And this, as you can imagine, enrages the king. And so the scripture tells us that he decides to put the queen away. And the party goes on. And then this, it jumps. And about four years later, Somebody reminds him that he has put his queen away. Took him four years to realize he was out without a queen. I don't know what kind of husband that is, but I don't want any part of that. You know, if I'm gone for more than 10 minutes, I want my husband to wonder, well, where did she go? But it took him four years to realize that he didn't have a queen on the throne with him. And, and one of his advisors, one of the eunuchs, advised him uh, to hold a beauty pageant to hold an open call with the virgins from the region, bring them in and get them prepared, and then they would go before the king one by one. Well, because there was a remnant of Jews in uh, Persia at that time, uh, Esther was there with her uncle Mordecai. And Mordecai sends Esther with the other virgins to go into the palace and to be prepared to go before the king and have the possibility of the king making her queen. The scripture tells us that when she goes in that she has favor. In fact, we find out that Esther has favor everywhere that she goes, and, and she's befriended by one of the eunuchs that was charged with preparing her and other women to go before the king, and he had special favor on her and gave her extra supplies. I don't know what those extra supplies were, but I imagine, you know, she had extra hand lotion and extra myrrh to put on herself or whatever, and when it was time for her to go before the king to have her one night with the king, the, her eunuch gave her special instructions. And the scripture tells us that she did everything the unit instructed her to do. So the first thing I want you to notice about Esther is Esther is obedient. Now, what I didn't tell you before now was that when Mordecai sent her to the palace to get ready to go before the king, he told her, don't tell anybody about your Jewish heritage. Don't tell anyone you're a Jew. Hide your heritage, your identity. And she was obedient to that as well. Well, the scripture tells us that she goes before the king. The king falls madly in love with her. She has great favor with the king, and he makes her queen. Now, during that time, Mordecai stood at the gate into the palace to get word of how his niece was doing, how uh, Esther was doing. And while he was standing at the gate, hoping to hear word about how she was doing, he overheard a plot to assassinate King Ahasuerus. So he sends word to the king warning him that two eunuchs, two of his close advisors, were plotting an assassination plot. As you can imagine, the king was very uh, appreciative of this and made note and said, we've got to do something to honor this man who has saved my life. Well, time and life goes on, and in fact, the king forgets that Mordecai has saved his life. 
In the meantime, there's another character coming up in this story, and his name is Haman. And Haman is ambitious and mean and greedy and racist and arrogant. And as he is uh, ascending in position and power, he ascends to be the right hand of King Ahasuerus. Well, he decides that he wants everyone when he's walking out in the region to bow before him. So that tells us a little bit about the character of Haman. Well, Mordecai refuses to bow before him. And I'll give you a little insight into why. There is beef between the ancestors of Mordecai and the ancestors of Haman. See, Haman was the son of Hamadatha, who was an Agagite, or Agagite, uh, under the king Agag. They were Amalekites. And if you remember when uh, um, Joshua led the children of Israel into the promised land, they had a battle immediately after they crossed the river, the Jordan River. And the first battle was with the Amalekites. And then also, if you'll remember from my Bible scholars out there, you'll remember way back when uh, uh, Saul was king and Saul was instructed by the priest from God to kill all the Malachites and leave nothing. Well, Saul didn't obey God. He didn't kill everything. He kept the finest of things, including sparing the life of the king, Agag. So, uh, um, and now I'm getting all my names mixed up. So Mordecai is of the tribe of Benjamin, just as Saul was. So Mordecai is related to Saul, and Haman is related to the Amalekites and King Agag. So there's feud going on between them. So when Haman realizes that Mordecai refuses to bow before him, this enrages Haman. And he decides that not only is he going to kill Mordecai, he doesn't like their people, his people. So he decides to kill all the Jews. And he takes this plan to the king. And he says, there's someone out here that refuses to bow and is a threat to our, our, our kingdom. I would like to not only kill this man, but I want to kill all the other people because if they see him getting away with this disrespect, then they might all rise up against you. So Haman convinces King Ahasuerus to uh, declare, to make a decree that on a certain date, the Persian army would annihilate, commit genocide, kill all the Jews in Persia. Now I want to give you a little bit of detail, and these are all, these are all going to wrap together in just a moment. The date that was decided that the Jews would be killed was decided by a pure, P-U-R, which is another word for lot, which is similar to a dice, to die. One die, uh, or dice, plural. So, it was, so they threw the poor and decided what the date of the assassinations or the genocide would be. So the date seemingly was chosen by chance, by casting lots. And so the king agreed to this plan and, and then used his signet ring to seal the decree, which meant that this decree, this law, could not be changed. So Mordecai, who is still at the gate of the palace, waiting to hear word about his niece, Esther, hears about the decree that Haman now has against him and his people. And so he sends word to Esther, 
and says, go before the king and plead for your life and for the life of your people. So now what Mordecai is doing is he is now asking Esther to reveal her true identity because she's kept it secret all this time. So now Esther has a dilemma. Does she reveal her identity and in effect condemn herself to death being a Jew because of this decree? And is she willing to go before the king without an invitation? We find out in the book of Esther that there is a law that no one can enter the court before the king without his invitation. And if they do come before the king without an invitation, he must hold out his golden scepter. If he does not hold out his golden scepter, that person is condemned to death. So now Esther is at a, a danger of being killed two for two different reasons. Because she is of the heritage, the ancestry of the condemned Jews in the land. And now her uncle, who first told her to hide her identity, has said, reveal your identity, risk your life, go before the king and plead for your people. Well, we read in our text for today that Esther says, I can't do that. What we find out is that the king had not called the queen in 30 days. I don't know what kind of husband this king is, but he's not a great one. And she says, if I go before him, I could die. And then that's when Mordecai says those fateful words. He said, do not think that you will escape this sentence to death. You'll be killed just like the rest of us. But then he says, who's to say that you were, had not been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this? And that got Esther's attention. And so then she said, okay, tell all the Jews, tell the family to pray and fast for three days and three nights. Eat nothing, drink nothing. And I and my maids will do the same. And she said, then after that, I will go before the king. And then those other fateful words of the book of Esther, she said, and you can say it with me, and if I perish, I perish. In other words, she is willing to accept the risk of not only losing her queenship, losing her position, losing her status, but losing her life for the sake of pleading on behalf of the people. All right, are you with me so far? Does that make sense? All right, so now she has the fast, she goes before the king, the king holds out the golden scepter, saving her life, and he's so in, infatuated with her, I guess, that he says, what is it, what is your request before the king? He goes, I'm willing to give you up to half of my kingdom. Now let me just put a pen right there and just say this. If I were queen, and I have been sent before the king for an errand on behalf of people that really I have no more contact with. And I come before the king and the king says, ask me whatever you want. I'll give you everything I have up to half of my kingdom. I might forget why I had gone before the king. <laughs> I might start thinking about the diamonds and the gold and the silver and the horses and the maids and some of the other stuff that I might want. But Esther remains on mission. Can you say on mission? 
come with me, I'm going somewhere. And so she says to the king, now if you're reading this, I would have thought she would have then revealed the plot against her people and asked the king to spare her people's life. But she did not. She said, if it pleases the king, would you please come to a banquet that I pre uh, prepared for you and Haman who was in the room because he's now the number two guy. And so of course the king comes to the banquet. And so then you would think that at that banquet, she would then ask the king to spare the life of her people. But the scripture tells us that she does not make that ask. And you might think that she got cold feet, that she chickened out, that she didn't have the nerve. Scripture doesn't say that, but I wonder why didn't she ask? So then they went to that banquet and the king says, so what is your request? And so the, the queen, Esther, instead of saying, please save my people, which is what I thought she was having the banquet for, she says, and again, he says, you can ask anything up to a half of my kingdom. So she has another chance to stray, stray off mission. But she says, please come to another banquet tomorrow. And so the king grants that. Now, in between the first banquet and the second banquet, the king that night has a sleepless night. He can't sleep for whatever reason. And so he gets up and he asks one of his servants to read from the chronicles of the king to uh, uh, help him, I guess, soothe him and go back to sleep. And in the reading of the chronicles of the kingdom, he reads past the section where Mordecai had saved his life and it reminded him. He says, what has been done for this man? And the servant says, nothing. And it reminds him, oh, we must honor this man who saved my life. In this same night, there's something else happening with Haman. Haman is so giddy, so drunk on power and access that he's bragging to his wife and his friends, I was invited to a banquet with the queen and the king and she's invited me to the second banquet. And on the, on the way home, he sees Mordecai again. He's reminded of how much he hates Mordecai, decides that he doesn't wanna wait for the date of annihilation of the Jews. He's gonna behead Mordecai the next day. <clears throat> so he has a huge gallow built that night. Now I take the time to tell you these details because the next day at the banquet, the first thing that the king says to Haman is, what should be done for a, for a man that the king wants to honor? Well, Haman in his arrogance and silliness then begins to think that, oh, the king wants to honor me. So he begins to do a grocery list of the ways he wanted to be honored. So the king should give the man that he wants to honor a robe and should give him a, a crest to put on his head and, and, and the robe should be a robe that the king has uh, worn before and give the man that you want to honor a horse that the king has ridden on before and let that man be paraded through the kingdom with someone shouting, this is the man who the king honors. Now remember, Haman thinks he's getting this. And the king says to him, that's a great idea. Let's do that for Mordecai. <laughs> Can you imagine how Haman felt for Mordecai? Not only was this honor not for him, but it was for someone that he hated. And so the scripture says that he had to do just that. However, at the banquet now, again, the king asked Esther, what can I do for you? I will give you anything you want up to a half of my kingdom. And now Esther finally pulls the trigger. 
Esther then tells him about the plot to kill the Jews, also saying that she's a Jew, and asks Ahasuerus, the king, to spare the life of the Jews. And so the king is so taken aback that it's his queen's people that have been condemned to death. He says, who came up with this decree? Who made this plot? And I can just imagine in my own imagination, the scripture doesn't say it this way, but you know, I, I, I feel like I have a connection with Esther. I feel like we understand one another. And uh, I feel like in my mind, when the king said, who came up with this plot? Who did this? I can imagine her because Haman is at the banquet looking over at Haman and said, Haman did. <laughs> and the king is incensed and he sends Haman, condemns him to death, and Haman is beheaded on the very gallows that he had built to behead Mordecai. And Mordecai is elevated in the kingdom as a result of this. Now, the king told, tells Esther, I cannot change the decree that was already made because he had sealed it with his signet ring. But what he did do is he made a second decree. And his second decree was that the Jews could defend themselves. And on the day of annihilation, that they could fight back. And he sealed that. And that was the answer that Esther wanted and that Mordecai was looking for. So the scripture tells us that when the day of annihilation finally rolls around, which is a year later, the Jews have had time to uh, 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 defend themselves, to bulk up and get ready for the defense. And the scripture tells us that on that day and the next day, that 75,000 of the Persian army that tried to kill all the Jews got killed themselves. And, and the Jews prevailed against this attack. And so much so there was a huge feast and they called it the Feast of Purim. In fact, those who still practice Judaism today still celebrate the Feast of Purim because of this great victory that was brought for the chosen people of God at the hand of an obedient uh, queen and a watchful uncle. And so it's an awesome story and believe you can give the Lord a hand praise for that. That's good. It's a great story. It's better than Top Gun that I just recently saw, which is a really good movie. It's a great story. But you see, this, this story is amazing because of the providence and the hand of God working behind the scenes to save his people. You see, what this story shows us is that even when we can't see him, God is always at work. He puts the right people in the right place at the right time to do the right purpose, which is his purpose, and he works it out for the good of his people. Let me just point a few things out to you to show the providence of God in this chapter. You see, if some of the Jews had not remained in Persia, then Mordecai and Esther would not have been there, and Mordecai wouldn't have heard about the plot, and Esther wouldn't have become king and Mordecai wouldn't have been able to uh, uh, to warn the king and Esther would not have been able to uh, ask for the mercy on the life of her people because she wouldn't have been in place and, and if Esther had made her request at the first banquet
banquet, then the king would not have had a sleepless night and been reminded about what Mordecai had done for him. And, and if she had asked at the first banquet, then Haman wouldn't have become so full of himself that he built the gallows that would bring his only death. You see, it was the right timing that when, when, when Esther went on that fast and prayed and got the, a strategy from God, it was not only the purpose of God, it was wrapped up in the timing of God. What I want you to know that even a good seed planted in the ground at the wrong time won't grow. It's not the seed, it's not just the ground, it is the timing as well. And some of us have a sense of what God has called us to or a sense of purpose in life and what I believe the Lord would have me tell you is wait on his timing. Just as sure as his purpose is for you, his timing is perfect for you as well. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And it is important for us to understand that each and every one of us who consider Jesus as our Savior, which means we are in relationship with God, connected to God, which means that when we are in submission to God, we're in submission to the plan and the purpose for his life. That when we are in that position, then God will cause all things to work together for our good because we love him and because we're called according to his purposes. I'm going to take a break from my notes and tell you right Right now, somebody out here, what you're going through is not good. What you've experienced is not good. The turn of events are not good, but I declare to you that God doesn't lie. If you love him and if you're called according to your purposes, the thing that's not good is going to work for your good if you'll just trust the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It is important, though, for us to stay on mission. If you'll remember a few minutes ago at the beginning of our time together, I asked you to say, on mission. Some of us think that we have what we have and we are where we are because of some greatness of our own, because of the education that we got or because of the upbringing that we have or even because of our ethnic ancestry that we're special in some way. We think we have the house and the car and the lake house and the boat and the portfolio and the, and the business and, and the job and whatever we have and the access and the power for our own blessing to pass down to our generation. But I'm here to tell you that God blesses us in order for us to accomplish his purposes. You see, Esther uh, was in her position to accomplish the purpose of God in her life and in the life of the whole nation of people. She didn't become queen to just enjoy herself. She didn't become queen so she could walk around and wave with a crown on her head. She didn't become queen so she could eat the delicacies and live the good life. She became queen because she had a purpose that God had ordained for her life. And when the time came, when the rubber met the road, she remembered her mission, that she wasn't there to be uh, have fun. She wasn't there to be uh, just uh, 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 celebrated and to be worshiped. She was there to obey the almighty God. So here's my question for you today. Why do you have what you have? Mm-hmm. If you can't say amen, oh, amen, just say, oh my. Why are you where you are? Could it be that your possessions, your position, your access, your influence are for a divine and godly purpose? You see, God blesses us 
for his purposes, not for ours. That's important enough for me to say it again. God blesses us for his purposes, not for ours. Now, bless the Lord, we get to reap the benefits of those blessings, but it's always for his purposes. So here's my question as I round the back curb and come up the final stretch. Are you stepping out on faith to speak truth to power in the place that God has positioned you in? Are you willing to reveal your true Christian spiritual identity as a child of God to stop the tricks and the plan of the enemy? Are you willing to use what God has blessed you with to help others? And I'm not just talking about money. Are you willing to use your time? Are you willing to use your talents? Are you willing to use your abilities? Are you willing to use your creativity? Are you willing to use what God has given you, where God has placed you for such a time as this? Now, I don't know what was happening geopolitically and sociologically necessarily at the time of Esther, but I know that it, it could be similar to what we're going through right now. And if there was a, ever a time for us to stay on mission, the time is now. Uh, Pastor Mick has been telling us about this. Our country is about to split down the middle as we go into another political election season. We have uh, gas prices that have gone to ungodly uh, prices. Uh, 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 at the gas pump and inflation is rising and there's still a war over in Ukraine with Russian aggression and while we're spending all of our time looking over there, China is silently working up their plan in the other side of the world. Uh, we have time now. We're in our society. People say up is down and down is up and that there is no respect for life and no respect for authority and, and there's a, a, a statistic that says that in this day and age, only 14.7% of Americans actually go to church on a Sunday. We're living in an awful time. And I would, tell, I would say to you that whatever God has placed you and what he has given you, he has given you for such a time as this. It is not for us to sit back on our laurels. It is not for us just to enjoy. Yeah, I want you to enjoy yourself. I enjoy myself too. But we must stay on mission. Can you say stay on mission? Why don't you tell your neighbor, stay on mission. You are not a doctor. You are not a lawyer, a teacher, an entrepreneur just for your own prestige and for making a living for your family. You don't have a job just to bring home a paycheck and you don't have access and influence just to get things that you want. God has placed you in the right place at the right time to accomplish his plan. Are we willing to step up like Esther stepped up? Are you willing? Are you willing to step up like Esther stepped up? God has a purpose for you at the grocery store, in the business office, in the classroom, on the factory floor, in the truck, cleaning houses, delivering food, changing diapers, washing dishes. God has a divine purpose for you. Now, let me take this story that I took a long time to tell for this reason, and let's Turn it to make it spiritually applicable for us. Remember, we have 
Esther, the servant of God, elevated to a position for the purpose of God. We have Mordecai giving her advice and guidance and conviction and reminding her of what her purpose uh, was. Remember, we have Haman, who is the enemy to the purpose of God. And we have the king who has the ability to change the destiny of Esther's people. What about this? What if you take all those physical characters, those people that actually existed, and assign them spiritual designations? What if you are Esther? What if Haman represents the enemy? What if the king represents God the Father, who is able to control our destiny? What if Esther's willingness to fast and pray before going to the king represents our advocate before God the Father, Jesus? And what if Mordecai is the Holy Spirit? Now tell yourself that story again. If you are Esther, you must be willing to listen to the Holy Spirit and to obey him even when what he tells you to do doesn't make sense. And you must be pliable enough that when he comes back with, I'm going to call an audible this time, tell him who you really are, even though I told you not to before, and go before him, uh, go before the king, and you're willing to do it because the Holy Spirit told you to do it. And what if the enemy who is trying to not only kill you, but kill your future has created a plot, but when you listen to the Holy Spirit and you go to Jesus, who is now the mediator, the advocate, the go-between between you and God the Father, that you can take the advice of the Holy Spirit, take the uh, instructions of Jesus, and go right up to God the Father and say, God, here's my situation. Would you save my family? Would you save my husband? Would you save me? Would you change the, direct, the trajectory of my children? And what if we come in at the direction of the Holy Spirit with the endorsement of Jesus? Then God holds out his his golden scepter and says, ask me whatever you want. Ask me whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In order for us to fulfill the purpose of God in our lives, beyond the material things that we have, we must be open to the Holy Spirit. We must be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Here's my final point. There is controversy or there was controversy over whether or not the book of Esther would be included in the Bible, what we call the canon. Because Esther is the only book in the Bible that does not ever, not once, mention the name of God, right? You cannot find the word God or Jehovah or Yahweh or Adonai or Elroy or any of them in Esther. And that was a source of great contention when the Bible was, be the canon was being put together. But even though the name of God is not overtly mentioned in the story of Esther, the providence and the work of God is all through it. Why do I bring that up? Because some of us are walking through life now and you don't see God anywhere in your circumstances. 
You don't see him anywhere in what's happening around you. But God sent me here to tell you today, just because you can't see him doesn't mean he's not there. God is working on your behalf no matter what the circumstances look like. Hallelujah. I'm here to tell you that even when God seems absent, he's not. He has not abandoned you. He's just working behind the scenes. So the Lord would have me tell you, don't feel, feel forsaken. Don't feel abandoned. Don't feel excluded today. God is working on your behalf. Yes, the enemy has a plot against you. But because of the instruction of the Holy Spirit, the advocacy of Jesus, and the power of God, every plot of the enemy will be brought to null and void, will be brought to nothing. But this is what it requires. And this brings me to the point where I'm gonna ask you to respond to this word. It requires you to have enough courage to say yes. For some of us, we need to have enough courage to let go of things that we're holding on to, our identity, who we think we are because of what we have, the number of letters behind our name or a portfolio or the position that we hold. God is asking you to let that go because he has something much bigger. But for some of us, we, we, we know what we have and it's familiar to us and we don't wanna let it go. And even at this church, as we go through a revival, there are some of us uncomfortable with the way the Holy Spirit is leading Mick to take us on this spiritual journey. And you don't wanna let go of some traditions and some rituals because they're a comfort to you. But I'm here to tell you that if you will let those go in obedience to the Holy Spirit, what God has for you is even greater than you can imagine. There's a great cartoon I ran across um, many years ago that illustrates the point I make. If we can put that up on the, the screen, it is the picture that I love. Some of us, that's us. We're holding a little bitty teddy bear. And Jesus is asking you, give me that teddy bear. But we like it. We got a relationship with it. We identify with it. And Jesus is saying, trust me because he has something that's even bigger than that teddy bear. Are you willing to let go of what God is telling you to let go of so that your hands can be open for the bigger thing that God has for you? In a minute, I'm gonna ask if that's you to come to the altar, I wanna pray with you. Have you been dealing with fear? Some of us in this room, God has already spoken to you. He's already told you what he wants to do in you and through you, and you've hesitated because it seems too big, too overwhelming. People will laugh at you. People will understand. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you, if that's you, come to the altar. I wanna pray for you. There's some of you, you don't know what to do. You don't know what your purpose is. You don't know where life is taking you. You need not only to be in relationship with God through Jesus, but you need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit so that he can direct you and guide you. If that's you, in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to take a step of faith and come forward. I wanna pray with you. And there are some 
who are just tired. You trust God, you believe God. Nothing's gonna stop you from having a relationship with God. But things haven't happened the way you thought they were gonna happen in the time that you thought they were going to happen. I believe God has been working behind the scenes. But I also believe that he can refresh you while you wait. If that's you, in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to come forward. So for those who are afraid to step on what God's calling you, I'm gonna ask you to come forward. For those who need to hear direction from the Lord, I'm asking you to come forward. For those who've heard from the Lord and you're afraid to step out, you need your faith, your courage built up, I'm asking you to come forward. And for those who feel lost, maybe even disconnected, I'm asking you to come forward. Because God is working. Even when you can't see him, he's working. Even when you can't feel him, he's moving. Pastor Brent is gonna, Brent is gonna lead us in a little portion of Waymaker as he leads us. If that's you for one of those calls, I want you to not, don't hesitate because the enemy will talk you out of it. I want you to pop up and come forward as a step of faith, as a sign that God, I'm gonna trust you no matter what it looks like. And we're gonna pray together. If that's you, from wherever you are in the building, the balconies, the galleries, the main floor, come forward.
we're going to pray in just one moment. I just feel the Lord would have me say that what he desires from us, whether you're at this altar or you're still at your seat, is he desires that same surrender that Esther displayed when she said, I will go before the king. And if I perish, I perish. She was willing to give it all up to be obedient to her God. I don't know about you today, but I've come to a time in my life and a place in my life, if it's not from God, I don't want it. If he hasn't ordained me to do it, I don't want to do it. I just want to be in his will. And the Holy Spirit is available to help you walk that out. You don't have to do it alone. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are indeed a way maker. That you really are the only miracle worker. I thank you, God, that you are completely and totally able to perform your word in our lives all by yourself. You are God all by yourself. You need no affirmation. You need no certification. You are just God. But God, what I love the most is even though that you are the maker of the heavens and the earth, the creator of the universe, either though you are the God of hosts, God, you are our daddy, you are our Abba Father, and you withhold no good gift from us. So daddy, I'm calling on you this day. Help us, help us to step into your purposes. Help us to stay on mission. Help us to let go of things that you never intended for us to have in the first place. Help us to open our arms and our heart to the move of the Holy Spirit. Even if it scares us, even if it's foreign, even if it's unfamiliar, even if our mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers taught against it. God, if it's from you, we want it. We want you, God. Father, we thank you that you work all things together for our good. So Lord, I lift up these, my brothers and sisters, that have come to this altar in faith and by faith. Lord, I ask that you meet them at the point of their need in the name of Jesus. Lord, for those who are afraid, I know, Lord, that you have not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And so, Lord, I ask that you pour out your power upon these, your sons and daughters. Pour out your love upon these, your sons and daughters. Give sound minds to these, your sons and daughters, in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for those, they want to obey you. They want to live for you, but they don't know how. Oh, Holy Spirit, I ask that you speak in an undeniably clear way into the hearts of these, your children, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we declare that you are our shepherd, and we are your sheep, and we hear your voice, and the voice of a stranger we will not follow. I declare it to be so in the name of Jesus. Lord, answer questions. Bring clarity. 
I come against confusion and double-mindedness. I come against the lies of the enemy that would try to pervert the things of God, and I break that assignment in the name of Jesus. I declare that we have the mind of Christ, that we think on things that are lovely and pure and good and of good report in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for the troubled mind and the troubled soul. And God, I ask that you bring peace, 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 peace. I speak, I speak peace to the storm in lives, peace to the storm in minds, peace to the uh, storms in families, peace that surpasseth all understanding. May it guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Now, Lord, make us every withhold from the crown of our head to the sole of our feet. In the name of Jesus, I ask that you seal this work, that the enemy will not be able to steal it. And I declare that it is so. In the name of Jesus, we submit it to your word and to your will, and we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Can we worship God? Can we just worship God for a moment? Hallelujah. It is so. It is so. It is so. It is so. In Jesus' name.
it's time to go, I want to challenge you to use what you have and where you are for the glory and the purpose of God. I want to challenge you to seek God for direction and what you should do and how to move forward in his purpose for your life. I want to encourage you to repent for the times and the ways that you have not stood up against the enemy and evil. And I want to challenge you to ask God for courageous faith to walk in purpose and power that he has ordained for you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face to you and give you peace. Go in peace and power and mission. God bless you. Amen.